everyone and welcome to another episode of What to Watch on Netflix. My name is Jed Shepard, I'm your host today and you're joining us on a, on a great week. We are currently number one in the iTunes uh, podcast charts for TV and film, um, which is kind of amazing because... Um, I mean, obviously, with my other podcasts, we've got there before. But um, for this one, I didn't think that would be the case. Um, I don't know why. I should have more faith in myself, really. I'm joined by one of the other uh, podcast hosts for one of the other successful podcasts under this banner. I'm really patting myself on the back this week. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Here is Nick Alder. Hello. Hi, How Nick. are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Nick? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, Nick is the co-host, uh, the people's champion <laughs> of the podcast <laughs> called Monkey Tennis, oh, uh, which dear. I'm sure you guys are aware of. <laughs> um, if for those who haven't listened to the last uh, couple of hosts of Monkey Tennis have been on, what is Monkey Tennis? <laughs> Uh, Monkey Tennis is uh, an Alan Partridge fan podcast and essentially we uh, document a different uh, series of uh, I'm Alan Partridge and currently if you uh, uh, listen to our most recent episode you'll hear us talking about knowing me knowing you and essentially it's a celebration of all things Alan um, and yeah we've been pretty bowled over with the response to be honest and That's obviously been incredible yeah. like um, I think it culminated with, with the live show at the end of last year yeah yeah absolutely I can't believe we did I know and another one coming up another one coming up in november get your tickets now um, <laughs> we've got the plug in <laughs> um but yeah what uh, just just briefly what um uh, well i would say it's kind of very much uh four friends just having a conversation about and why you are they... friends right Let me, yeah i mean yeah. we were friends <laughs> <laughs> it's just friends having a conversation about alan and i think that it's a conversation that happens up and down the country with people kind of our our age and i think that that's why we wanted to do the podcast in the first place because we were talking about it so much that it just made sense as a topic and i think it yeah. kind of shines through in, in the podcast that so, yeah. it's relaxed it's easygoing and that's why that's that's the exact reason why I think people have kind of uh, grasped it um, so so tightly to their chest because it's just like you and your friends uh, in a room just talking about the shows that you love, um, but just for free in Absolutely. your ears on a train. Absolutely. Um, or any kind of journey you take, um, there is um, a, a kind of dynamic to the group, isn't there? Yeah, you kind of have each person kind of establishing uh, their role kind of within within the group. Like the Spice uh, Girls. A bit like the Spice Girls. <laughs> I'm trying to think which one I would be now. Mm. Baby Spice was always my favourite. Okay, you can be Baby Spice. <laughs> if it you was yours. Um, I always liked uh, Sporty Spice because she supported <laughs> Liverpool. And also because she's the underdog as well. So I'm always she like, absolutely is. Yeah. And she's the burger sauce. <laughs> she's, <of> the, <laughs> <laughs> she's the burger sauce of the Spice Girls condiment world. <laughs> Um, I can't believe you must be the only person that uh, has her as their favourite I know but that's why that's why I picked her <laughs> never changed Jed exactly never changed uh, big fan of Spice World by the way we're not we're not talking about Spice World today though on a, on a Spice episode. World here's a, here's a quick Spice World fact for you Spice. that came out um, uh, under the uh, working title uh, films group who if you know anything about working title films now they're kind of hugely kind of credible with the likes of you know say Bridget Jones that's not really the best kind of Don't credible credible no. star is it I mean, yeah big, big kind of big. yeah they make big kind of credible films and also make the uh, Spice World film exactly uh, but I mean Spice World was kind of a, a big effort wasn't it it was Rich D. Grant it had Meatloaf in it and that's a, that's a kind of a, a mark of a quality if uh, Mr. Meatloaf's in it. I, well, to I be find. fair, at the time, it, it was big. I mean, yeah. I saw it in the cinema and I bought it on VHS from Blockbuster Video in a collector's edition I tin. I forgot that. <laughs> I forgot you mentioned that on a previous podcast. Wow. I think I only Why watched it. Why did you it. like it so much? I just liked the Spice Girls. I, okay. Growing up, I did have this kind of 
love for them, and I'm not really sure why, because if you go back and listen to the music, it doesn't... I don't I know it's because sure. you empathise with the, the girl power kind of aesthetic, the kind of... Yeah. Well, we yeah. just celebrated, was it International Women's Day? So what better time yeah. to rejuvenate the girl power conversation? The second one this year, wasn't it? I think so, There's yeah. one in February as yeah. well. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, and uh, let's get straight back onto let's, format before we get in trouble. Um, so as you know, uh, Nick, from listening to previous episodes, this series is all about um, your favourite uh, TV shows and films that may not have gone under the radar um, for people out there. And just because this is called What to Watch on Netflix doesn't mean necessarily it has to be on Netflix. It can be on any streaming format. It could even be on YouTube or, or Daily Motion or something like that. Um, mainly just places that people can actually watch it um, after listening to this, uh, which would be which would be great. I did take uh, the title of uh, the podcast literally, so I can <laughs> confirm all of mine are available on Netflix. Well, well that's great. I think most of mine are, uh, which uh, we'll, we'll come on to. Um, let's start. Always start with me. Always the same. <laughs> um, my first choice for what to watch on netflix is one that's very close to my heart it's the 80s classic invaders from mars uh, directed by toby hooper and uh, it's a remake of the 50s original which was great in itself but there's something about this remake that um just lifts me to higher ground <laughs> yeah but so I've seen it. Right? I, I have seen it, but yeah. I, I kind of think about this and I, I draw a sort of a parallel with um, like John Carpenter and what he did with something like um, the thing. The thing, yeah. And clearly, what he did with this is not what Toby Hooper did with Invaders from Mars. No, um, it feels like T- Toby Hooper. I mean, let's talk about him for a second. He he first of all did um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a classic. Yeah. And because uh, he was riding that wave and then he did, uh, Poltergeist allegedly. Yeah. I was going to say, is that, uh, <laughs> yeah. isn't the sort of the rumor that Spielberg had to pretty much step yeah, in? And... It was basically Spielberg, but, um, because he couldn't, um, legally do f- two films at the same time because he was oh, doing right. ET, he okay. had to kind of, uh, pretend that Toby Hooper did it. Um, and people who were on set or, and people in the cast, they swear that it was basically a Spielberg film and he directed most of it. And Toby Hooper was in the room. Um, but then based off the back of that, he was getting off his left, right and centre. So um, this film, Invaders from Mars, is actually c- quite a big budget film. Um, it's an estimated $12 million budget, which... Which back then... Back then is... Yeah, the equivalent of a, of a decently sized uh, um, film, a sci-fi film. And uh, the reason why I like this so much and why I hold it close to my heart is I watched this when I was basically a kid. Um, I watched this... Uh, my aunt worked in a cinema... Uh, when I say aunt, it's like one of my mum's friends. Okay. Uh, worked in a cinema in Marble Arch. Um, yeah. So I think it was one kind of um, half term or something. Uh, my mum needed someone to babysit. So she left me and my little sister, who's a couple of years younger than me, in a cinema with uh, my uh, aunt. And I think, and they were just like, yeah, just, just sit them down, let them watch whatever's on. So we basically marathoned any movie that was on um that day so it was horror films it was the comedy films romance films and one of the films uh were, were invaders from mars and this was over the course of a couple of weeks so we got to see a lot of crazy movies when we were like a, a kid like six and eight and stuff oh. like that and um 
so I remember watching this just wide-eyed and full of wonder like what is this amazing movie <laughs> um and the, the, would you still call it an amazing movie yes okay I, I watch I've watched this recently IMDB disagrees with you oh five, of course five, yeah. five out of ten everybody disagrees with me but I'll tell you the reasons why, why I love it um so, so the essential plot is um obviously there's aliens that have come down to the planet who want to take over just the, your, your your normal everyday kind of alien invasion story uh, but the great thing here is um it's the kids versus the adults it's like the kids know that this alien invasion is taking place and the adults just don't believe the kids so it's one of those things but where you're a kid yourself you're like oh yeah the kids know more um so so you kind of put yourself in into that position of validation for yourself like yeah i knew i was more intelligent than, than the grown-ups i knew it do you think toby hooper kind of stumbled across spielberg's script for et and thought, oh, I can have a crack at this. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i think so it's something a bit like that but there's like certain scenes in there that stick in my memory like the first time you see this kind of um ufo um land behind a hill and the kid and the kids in his room like scared looking through his window and he runs to his parents is like like mom dad like i've seen something and the dad's like oh yeah i'll check it out in the morning the dad goes off behind this hill comes back looking very strange indeed and, and acting very strange and the, and he also has a big scar on the back of his neck and um which means he was kind of uh, changed into an <laughs> alien basically that, that's, that's the telltale that's, sign that is a telltale sign um and throughout the movie these grown-ups one by one get turned into aliens and th- these kids just have to kind of deal with it so it's kind of like a proto Goonies, stroke, Stranger Things, um, but in my mind, better. Ooh, I'd say that's <laughs> quite big talk because my my memory of this, and I haven't seen it for a while, but uh-huh. looking through some of the um, images on uh, IMDb, yeah. it's pretty evident that. I can't believe the budget was 12 million because you think, where did, <laughs> where where did, did that go? go? It well, certainly didn't go on effects. That catering is expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like physical effects are one of my favorite things in horror films. Um, yeah. But this kind of just has a an aesthetic to it that hasn't kind of stood the test of time. But what you're forgetting is this was also a love letter to the 50s. Those 50s B-movies with the aliens and like rubber suits and stuff like that. Uh, okay. So because Toby Hooper is... is is really into that kind of stuff as well and so it was this do you think it worked in that respect parking I... kind of your your feeling like in terms of like audiences do you think that that kind of came across and people understood what it was trying to do potentially not um i completely agree but i mean even like the font of the, of the film is very 50s um the kind of like when you finally see the the head monster um spoilers he's very 50s looking kind of like rubber he kind of looks alien. like krang it's exactly like krang isn't it yeah um so there's, but there's certain scenes in this movie that kind of elevates it above other movies of its ilk. Um, the the first time you, but basically, it's set, some of it's set in a school, um, and and kids are kind of a little bit. Uh, worried about the, the the teachers anyway they're kind of uh, scared and suspicious of teachers anyway so when you see uh, these teachers um in the in this classroom eating a fr- eating a frog um it's all again it's validation that teachers yeah. are a bit strange again though isn't there a frog scene in et <laughs> yeah this is just essentially toby Hebrew's <laughs> version of et just <laughs> he really didn't know what to do with <laughs> how to direct kids um but it's just stuff like that and it's just like um just the adventure of it and and watching it as a kid you just kind of put yourself in that position of what would you do if your parents your teachers um all the people in authority around you turned into aliens and i love that shit that is kind of, that is kind of cool 
I, yeah. I must admit, I watched it fairly recently, although I must admit the details don't particularly <laughs> stick in my mind. Um, but it is a lot of fun and it is daft. I don't know that you'd necessarily call it good, but I would describe it as kind of good fun. I mean, yeah, I think, I think that's a good description of it. Um, but like, it's one of those films that have really stuck with me over the years. I think because of w- watching it at a really young and impressionable age. How old do you think influenced. you were? Uh, so it came in 1986. I didn't say it then, but um, it must have been the very early 90s. Um, Was it one of the first kind of horror films that you saw then? No, not by oh, not right. by a long shot. Oh, no, I, I, there was no kind of limits on like me watching eighteen when I was a ah, kid. See, this is the mirror opposite of my uh, childhood. Okay. I just remember kind of walking through um, like the video rental store, blockbuster video. Yeah, uh, let's give it a I'd, name. I'd yeah. always go straight to the horror section, and um, I think that's where my kind of. Uh, enjoyment of coming to your uh, place and looking at all the VHS uh, <laughs> classic horror films that you have but I was never allowed to watch them wow. so I was just like having all this pent up kind of frustration that I couldn't see all these amazing <laughs> horror films and you know kind of back then it was it was the cover that sold you on it yeah. like you wouldn't watch the trailer exactly you, you would literally be basing your decision on the sleeve of the VHS. That's, and that's why they were so extravagant. Yeah. yeah especially horror films. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the times, the stuff that's on the cover of the horror films weren't in the actual yeah. movies. Yeah, absolutely. Which I'm, I'm fine with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's but what some, makes them very collectible yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. But you'd, you'd be kind of crushed sometimes where you'd either been sold a dud or <laughs> yeah. some of the understated ones. You're like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I like to think that the more extreme, I think I'm sure there's a chart between extremity of uh, image on uh, cassette versus quality of film. Yeah. Yeah, there is some correlation there. But I mean, I used to go into, um, there used to be a, a video shop next to where I grew up um, on this corner and you used to go in and it was just, it looks like a normal kind of video shop, independent video shop. But you go up to the kind of the, the cool teen uh, who works there and you go, um, excuse me. And he'd be like, yeah, um, can I see the list? And he'd be like, what? Can I see the list? And he'd be like, what list? He's like, no, no, I heard there's a list. And then he would like begrudgingly take out this list from underneath the till. And it was a list of all the pirate films, oh, amazing, all of the yeah. really obscure horrors that they weren't allowed to put on. Yeah. And I, it was, I was just in dream world. We, we had that. When I was about 15, I kind of discovered this video shop near me that had um, a kind of under the counter uh, sort of list, as it were. I don't think he had quite as many uh, as maybe yours did, but... Um, yeah, he kind of he would let us rent eighteens, but by this nice. point, I'd seen I'd seen a lot of them. But just growing up as a kid, it just took me so long to actually get to see some of these films. Um, but yeah, I remember that's where I first saw The Exorcist. He had like a, a dodgy copy of it, nice. um, and yeah, it was awesome. I remember thinking, "Oh my god, I've got this copy of a film that you literally can't see." Well, I think I don't think my mum knew what an eighteen film was. I, I, I just think she thought it was a decoration on the, on the thing, so like. <laughs> I could just like run where I want, and I remember um, uh, like like Terminator Terminator One. I remember renting that out. Did she watch any of these with you? Or was not she just really. It was fun. it was more like a, like a fake babysitter, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like she'd go off and do something else. But Dad would be somewhere else, yeah. and I would just be sitting there my watching Terminator. Sister. Watching Terminator. Yeah. Did she enjoy them? Who your sister? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. She's got a similar kind of like sense of uh, humor and um, love for weird films as me. Awesome. which is great um, but yeah that's my first choice of uh, what to watch on Netflix uh, once again that is Invaders from Mars which is currently on every Netflix um, especially the UK one uh, should you want to watch it I thoroughly 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 recommend it uh, mostly on a Sunday afternoon it's yeah. the perfect Sunday afternoon movie yeah definitely um, so Nick what is your first pick well I'm going to go for Under the Shadow which 
I believe Great you've film. seen. Yes, amazing film. Absolutely. So I watched this um, uh, recently, and the first thing that kind of struck me is I was aware that it was a foreign language film, but I don't know if you had this when you watched it on Netflix, but mm-hmm. my Netflix defaulted to the dubbed English version. Mm, uh, no, mine defaulted to the uh, subtitled version, but I actually changed it to the dubbed version. Did you? And the reason why is because I was ha- I had a headache and I, my eyes would hurt if I read the screen, so I... Changes their dubbed, but I prefer always prefer subtitles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, ju- I just kind of would say that more as a flag that um, if you kind of experience that, I would say go for the subtitled uh, version if you can. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's called Under the Shadow. It came out uh, last year. It was nominated for several awards, although I I don't think it's picked up very many, but yeah. it certainly kind of did well in terms of uh, nominations. Um, it essentially tells the story of um, a, a mother and a child who are living in Iran, kind of around the time of the Iran-Iraq conflict. So that kind of that conflict kind of sets or sits there in the background, um, whilst this uh, 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 mother and daughter are living essentially uh, in a in a flat. Mm-hmm. And kind of the central conceit is the woman's been ousted from medical college because of some of her uh, what are dubbed kind of extreme uh, sort of political views. Yeah. So she's not allowed to continue um, training as a, a doctor. Meanwhile, her husband um, is kind of sent away to um, work in a hospital. So she's essentially left with her daughter in this um, uh, in this flat and, uh, and it becomes clear that she's kind of maybe suffering from isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and slowly but surely, you kind of, this uh, mysterious kind of, uh, what's the what's the term? Gin, is it? Uh, yeah. I yeah, think, kind I think of gin's the... Yeah, yeah. they kind of, they slowly kind of uh, begin suffering from uh, a sort of a delusion around this uh, demonic uh, gin um, that, that kind of haunts them. A ghost, uh, essentially. Yeah. A ghost, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A ghost, if you will. And... Kind of watching it, it, it drew kind of uh, parallels to something like maybe the Babadook. I don't know if you, yes, you saw that. Yes, it was that. very kind of, kind of a similar setup. Yeah. Where there's a sense of loss and there's a kid involved. And um, yeah, it's also a lot like there's this um, um, Iranian film, I think it's Iranian, called Wajida, I think it's called. Yes, I've heard of it, but um, I haven't seen it. Which is great, which is a similar thing where there's a, a small child um, and and a mother and um, it shows the kind of in secret they they have um, a Western kind of influence with what they do behind closed doors where they um, listen to Western music and, yeah. and and in this particular film she watches a Western exercise video and kind of hides it away. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that there's kind of there's there's the kind of classic kind of horror uh, side of it where you've got this kind of this you know the spirit that is haunting them and then you've got this other side where you just see her kind of living in the conditions of Iran so she's having to hide the fact that she's doing a Jane Fonda workout which is you know obviously a a western um uh, kind of yeah uh, piece of uh <laughs> entertainment yeah um, it was for a lot of guys back then yeah yeah but it's something is you know there's kind of two sides to it and the other part really is just how she kind of lives under this um i guess regime so she goes outside with her daughter uh, at night because she's terrified by what's kind of uh, the, the presence in the house um and is picked up by um uh, the, the police and you know there's a, a threat that she might be kind of um punished for simply going out at night with her daughter because mm-hmm. she's not wearing the appropriate clothing and so you kind of see how i guess a culture 
you've not really seen a horror film or I haven't seen a horror film kind of set against the backdrop of this kind of a, a, a culture that's so so different to, yeah. to ours. Um, and then on the other side of it, just the sort of the supernatural horror side of it is done so well. And I think probably with so little. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the budget was, but well, I, I was going... quite surprised with the, the special effects, really. So the budget... I can't seem to see on IMDb. I'm sure it's there somewhere, but it's you can tell they haven't got a lot of money, but yeah. they're working. They've they've managed to deliver a lot with not very much, and yeah. I think it's the classic thing of the less you show in a horror film, mm-hmm. almost the more you kind of get from it. Exactly, because um, your imagination has an unlimited budget. You can if, exactly if, if they're kind of hinting at something behind the door or like under the bed then your mind can just think, right, okay, uh, this is going to be like well, an incredible monster. You don't need to show everything. Because so many times, going back to what we were talking about with VHS horror films from you know the 80s, mm-hmm. so many times you'd see the killer or the monster or the effect, and you'd be like, ah, oh, was that it? <laughs> yeah. Whereas with this one, I was kind of thinking the same thing, like, oh, what's, you know, what's it going to look like? What, mm-hmm. what have they done with it? And actually, I don't think it's a huge spoiler to say you don't get to see an awful lot. Yeah, which I'm fine with, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of what happened with the Babadook as well, where you didn't see an awful lot of the Babadook and it was left to your imagination in Mm -hmm. terms of, you know, uh, kind of, well, one, what was real and what wasn't, because I think that that's very much implied here that is this real, is it not? Or is it a metaphor for like loss or like sadness or something? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And or kind of, you know, projecting, you know, your fears uh, onto your your child. Because I haven't really sort of mentioned the the child in this, but... Oh, she's such a great actress. Yeah, she's she's really, really good. And I think the two of them have a really, really kind of strong kind of chemistry. uh, And it just works really well. And it's, uh, you know, an interesting subject matter and something that you've seen before a hundred times in horror films. But I just think they've done a really, really good job with it. And the fact that they've also included all this additional kind of detail around, you know, the Iraq-Iran conflict, which mm-hmm. doesn't kind of colour a lot of the story, but it is no. constantly there. You're you're seeing her, you know, constantly tape up the windows. Mm-hmm. At one point you see an unexploded bomb kind of flying through um, into one of the other apartments. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of this that's kind of constantly uh, there in the background, although, although not kind of integral to the plot. Uh, and I think that for something so unique as this and... It it could have been it could have not worked and I think it it just yeah. really does it's incredibly atmospheric and um, I really enjoyed it um, but I do think as well you know see it in in the right environment um, I watched it on the train which is not a good <laughs> idea but I do think like horror <laughs> I watched it on the train <laughs> horror at the moment is uh, I don't want to I wouldn't say like Renaissance but there's so many good horror films out there at the yeah. moment. Um, like I saw uh, uh, The Witch, which I think was probably the f- my oh, favourite. The Witch is incredible. Yeah, yeah I love The Witch. Definitely one of my favourite films from that last go, year. That go is Black just... Philip. Black Philip is just amazing, yeah. It's so good. Um, and then things like The Wailing and Train to Busan and oh, all Train these... Train to Busan as well, yeah. Yeah, all these great films. And actually, a lot of those, even though The Witch, I think, is obviously English, a lot of those are foreign language films. And yeah. Some of the best kind of horror films, I think, at the moment are coming out of other kind of territories as it were yeah. i mean i mean um south korea has always been massive into they, they essentially do the best horrors yeah train to busan is i mean because it's not on any on any streaming service yet we haven't talked about it but train to busan is one of the best films of 2016 full yeah. stop um it, never mind the fact it's a horror um it's just a great film um about a father bringing his daughter uh, across the country to to, to her mother um 
it's just great and yeah, just, yeah. just the, the uh, it's hard to do i mean talking from from experience it's really hard to do a unique take on zombies because it's been done to death yeah but train to Pisan just just encapsulates yeah, yeah, what horror films should be about definitely and i think that's also here like the relationship between the mother and daughter is as important as you kind of anything else like that's that's the story yeah um and um yeah i just think that uh, for something that could have been um could have not worked i think that they did a really really good job um and i would just thoroughly recommend it and even if you're not a massive fan of horror i think that there is still something to kind of be enjoyed from this because actually the horror side of it is really really downplayed and um you know the final 10 minutes there is kind of a bit of a set piece but outside of that a lot of it is you know very very subtle much more atmospheric um over kind of out and out gore and horror yeah so you don't need to kind of just think oh it's a horror film i won't you know i, I won't kind of watch it yeah so um yeah i would thoroughly recommend it i think that's a, a great choice um and if you haven't seen it it is available um across pretty much every single netflix yeah uh, there is um okay on to my second pick my second pick uh, was influenced by something that's currently just appeared on on netflix um on my netflix on my Netflix new releases, uh, there's something called Gantz O. Um, and Gantz O is an animated version of a film that came out back in 2011 called Gantz. I thought it was going to be Ants. No, uh, the Woody Allen uh, classic. Yeah, yeah. Woody Allen's best film, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, um, it's a Japanese uh, film. It's a live-action movie. It's an anime. It's a TV show. They, they've, it's so popular. They've made it into various different formats. But this is... Um, I want to, want to talk about the original 2011 film, um, which is just called Gantz. Um, and that's currently available on... I've just checked. It's available on Netflix Japan and Netflix US. And okay. not not in the UK at the moment. But, I mean, I'm sure you'll find a way if you really want to watch it. Um, so Gantz, again, as, as I said, it's based on a um, anime and a manga comic. Um, and you can tell by uh, the kind of storyline. It has a lot of elements um, that are kind of big in, in anime. And what kind of drew me to it at first? Because I'm not. It's, it takes me a lot to get into kind of Japanese animes. I'm I'm not really into it that much. But this kind of thing kind of got me straight away. Um, it starts off with um, a homeless man on some train tracks on, on, on the underground, about to be hit by a train. So these uh, two girls jump down to save him, and they get hit by a tr- hit by the train. Really morbid start. Um, and then it cuts to them waking up in a room in a Tokyo flat with a bunch of people waking up around them, a little bit like Cube or something like mm. that. And Love they're that like, film. yeah. And they're like, how did we get here? What's going on? And in the far corner of the room, uh, far end of the room, there's a big massive sphere. And they're like, what's going on? And the sphere opens and there's a naked Japanese man inside. Of course. Right? Just connected by wires. That was going to be my first guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Twice. And, and, and there's these messages that come up on the screen that's on the, on the sphere saying, you guys are dead. You belong to Gantz now. Um, and I'm like, what? And then a picture of like an, um, this kind of like monster appears on the screen. Um, and they're like, okay, right, what's going on now? And then it's explained to them that they're dead. Their duty now is to go out into the world, kill these aliens that are about to invade Earth. If you, and you get points for every alien you kill. If you get to 100 points, you can either uh, come back alive or you can bring someone back who's already dead alive 
or you can get a super fuck off gun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> incredible choice. Yeah, yeah. So, so it sounds like an episode of Red Dwarf. It does. It does. Um, not only that, the sphere inside the sphere is all um, is basically some amazing guns, but also these um, these black suits that they put on, and these black suits give them superhuman strength, superhuman speed, um, and it's just this is within the first five minutes, and I just thought, okay, someone's made the best film of all time <laughs> directly for me. This is incredible. So they put so um, there's like a countdown, and they have to defeat the these um, enemies that appear within a certain amount of time. So they're transported to like an area of Tokyo uh, where it's about to, to kind of kick off. And then they see these monsters come in and these aliens, these big kind of like mecha aliens, half robot, half kind of biology. And um, they essentially have to kill these aliens before they kill the human race. So uh, they at, at first they, they're testing out their kind of speed, they're testing out what powers they have and what their guns can do. Uh, and if they defeat these aliens, and some of them will die in the process and then they're, they're gone sure. for good. But if they uh, manage to defeat it, then they can spend like another day on Earth, basically. So they can... Um, so all this for one day... Yeah, so so every time they they kill a kill a um a monster, right. then they they can co- go back to their old life until the next night when they have to defeat okay. another kind of thing. And just really just saying it out loud, loud it's kind of I've realised that um there's this comic that I'm doing with someone that's really influenced by this. <laughs> um, I just realised I ripped it off. Um, so um yeah, so this goes on and on and on. Um, f- and more people kind of die. Um, who are in within this group of uh, kind of Gantz warriors. Um, it's just an incredible story that you would wouldn't see anywhere else but Japan, and yeah. it's um, it's incredibly interesting because it kind of it has a lot of moral uh, dilemmas. Like, do you bring back someone who's dead? Or what if they didn't don't want to come back? Yeah. Um, do you sacrifice your own life for someone else, um, or do you have a big fuck off gun that can help you within this particular game to bring back as many people as possible um, who've died throughout your life? Um, and the monsters get more and more incredible, and the kind of set pieces get more and more um, elaborate. Um, and yeah, I, th- I don't think there's much I need more I need to say on this. Well, a couple of questions. Yeah. So do do you without spoiling it do yeah. you get resolution as to the battle between i guess planet earth and the aliens um i mean that is a little bit of a spoiler but okay, the, well, the, the kind of question is this thing's been going on for all time so you're not the first person to be in this gantt situation it's been going on since day one uh, people right, okay. people die um, and when they die, they get some options. A bit like kind of the, the Wiccan religion, where when you die, you go to this place called Summerland and you get given given options of what you want to do next. It's a bit like that. Uh, second question. So yeah. is so the girls, for example, at the beginning that were uh, trying to help the man, yeah. were aliens or the monsters on the planet at that point? Or is it an alternate reality where they're No, fighting? it's the same reality. Um, and the kind of impression you're given is that the aliens are... are constantly coming to earth okay. and are constantly thwarted by uh, right. gants is that what so the term gants refers to those that are killed that then go on to help and fight no monsters. gants refers to that this weird sphere that's in the room called gants oh yeah so what's so what happened to the naked man what's he about um it's, it's hard to explain okay and do we get it explained you do get a little bit of backstory, yeah, okay. but you do don't you, do, you don't get a lot. You, you still kind of come away with what have I just seen? Yeah, but then you kind of expect that with Japanese. Yeah, um, ambiguous is, yeah. is okay. 
Exactly. Is there any more? Any any sequels? Or? Yeah, then there was a second one that came out roughly like just, just the same time, which continues the story essentially the same. Um, and then Gantz, Gantz O has just come out on Netflix now, which uh, further continues the story of Gantz. Um, but it's an animation. They're so, getting heavy into animation, Netflix, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Like, no stone left unturned. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving it, really. They are good. Um, they are really good, yeah. They're just, they're just going to take over the world. I know. I bought some Netflix stock as well. Did you really? Yeah. I didn't know you were into that kind well, of stuff. Well, I'm not really, but I was talking to someone at work and they were saying that um, Disney's uh, looking to buy them or potentially is going to buy them. I just thought, if you're wow, ever going to buy some stock... Some insider trading here well, from I uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nick Holder. I, I, I have no idea if it's going to you know, make or lose any money, but I just thought, why not? So, hey. I mean, if Disney bought them, that would mean Star Wars can get onto Netflix oh, finally. God. And can then imagine? no one would need to go outside anymore. Um, but that's my second choice. Uh, what is your second choice, Nick Holder? So my second choice um, is a documentary. Excellent. And I must admit, I am a bit of a documentary fiend. I love documentaries. One of my, my final choice is going to be a documentary um, too. But um, Netflix just does it so well. I just, yeah, I kind of, it was really eye-opening when I kind of got hooked on these documentaries because it just made me realise they're doing, uh, they're giving a home for pieces of content that I think don't have homes in many places. It's true, yeah. And they've kind of uncovered these documentaries that have found huge kind of like critical acclaim and audiences. So the obvious one is something like Making a Murderer. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, some of the ones I was considering was The 13th. Have you seen that? I have seen that, yeah. I thought Which that was... great. Yeah. It I didn't was, realize like just how bad it is over there. I think that's the thing that you come away with. You just think America is not all it's cracked up to be. And something like The 13th is just e- evidence that they're just way off on civil liberties yeah. um, in, a, in a huge way. And obviously, politically, where they're going now, it can only get better. It can only get worse, <laughs> really. It's yeah. just... <laughs> Who knows? Um, uh, the Amanda Knox documentary as well, I was considering. Have you seen yeah, that one? It's, it's great, yeah. I love what that What do you think? Film. Well, it's funny. Innocent or guilty? I think she is innocent. But okay. I was talking to someone yesterday who'd seen it, and they said guilty. She's guilty as fuck. Do you think? She is guilty as fuck. And the reason why I think this is... I, I, I give it to her. She's a semi-good actress. That last bit where she, where the verdict comes in that she's innocent, and she calls up the other guy yeah. and, and has a conversation... We've we've done it. We've uh, we've got off or whatever. That bit was just like just it sung. It's like, hang on, she's acting here. Like, she she's actually surprised that she got off. And I think there's too much evidence against her. Um, I think that the one thing that shines through, and and this kind of um, you can see this if you've ever listened to like Serial, is yeah. that the the handling of the case was so bad yeah. parking her guilt or innocence mm-hmm. the handling of the case is so bad that it just throws so much doubt over it and i think yeah. that um the local town's police officer was so uh keen to defend the honor of his local you know uh, police authority by saying no no we're capable we can do this and we'll get a quick result mm-hmm. and you know they prosecuted her after a matter of days yeah. And it became clear once uh, she appealed and they got, you know, more experts in outside of this like local police authority that yeah. the case had been badly kind of managed. I mean, which... I don't think it was premeditated. I, th- I think it was like a spur of the mo- heat of the moment type thing. Because um, I don't think she's out to obviously kill anyone. But I, I do think she accidentally killed uh, Meredith. And yeah, she's kind of been covering for herself ever since. 
Yeah, um, well, I would say watch, you know, again, taking about watch the documentary and see what you think. But either way, it's, again, just another example of a really, really good documentary that, um, I mean, it, I guess it kind of, it presents it, presents it fairly even-handedly. I don't mm-hmm. think, it's kind of broadly, I guess, her story so it's always going to be skewed to a certain perspective yeah. but i think it's fairly even-handed i think, and you're so. I think it's really well choice. done yeah, yeah. um the other your one, actual choice well my actual choice and i was just gonna say audrey and daisy is the other one i was gonna oh it's great that? yeah i have seen so that good. it is great it's so good yeah. we won't go into detail about it but just audrey yeah. and daisy well the subject isn't great but the actual no. documentary is great yeah. i think the only thing i'd say with that is the images and how it and just the title of it doesn't sound good yeah. I, I, it took me a while to come to it, but actually it's really, really well made. Yeah. The subject's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the other one I was considering. Yeah. But my actual choice is uh, Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. Wow, which, I don't know this. So you haven't seen it? I haven't seen this, no. So it's a Netflix uh, documentary oh, well, okay. and essentially tells the story of the unrest in Ukraine between 2013 and 2014. So you may have seen, well, you would have seen some of it on the news. Well, I've got a lot to say about this, but but, but go on. Yeah. Well, the central, there's there's not a great deal to um, the actual uh, documentary. So mm-hmm. when, when I when I say that, what I mean is it's so singular in terms of its focus. It essentially is just a documentary that captures what happened over that, I think it was something like uh, 90 days where where um, there was a small student protest which started in the uh, uh, the sort of central square in Ukraine, um, which yeah. was essentially demonstrating against um, the president, whose name was, uh, I apologies, could be about to butcher his name, uh-huh. Victor F. Uh, Ikanovich. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a, uh, a demonstration Who against I really him. like, by the way. Okay. Because he's well, a chocolate mogul. He, a he, chocolate mogul? Yeah. He um, is involved with the Ukraine chocolate industry. Um, and he makes the greatest chocolate. He's like Willy Wonka, basically. Well, what's one of his chocolate bars? Um, they, they haven't really come over here. I've had to buy it off Amazon on, online. Um, but there's just this Ukrainian well, chocolate, which I, is just I, I would say watch this documentary and then see what you think <laughs> about your chocolate hero. Okay. So, <laughs> he, uh, so essentially, he um, almost makes a pledge to the people that he's going to sign a deal that will help transition them into the European Union. Uh-huh. And what happens is, at the last minute, he sides with Russia and uh, breaks his promise. And okay. what happens is... Um, mass demonstrations which are entirely peaceful but um, it's met with nothing short of uh, the most vicious um, police brutality I've ever seen committed to film and what kind of shines through is the determination and the will of these people because it was from my memory it was um, covered in the news here but I think what this documentary yeah. makes really really clear is you might get it on you know uh, on the news at 10 mm-hmm. one day and then maybe in a month later it's kind of picked up that oh this is still going on but yeah. this was a daily fight for people who stood up for something that they believed in mm-hmm. and um, were demonstrating in an entirely uh, peaceful and democratic way um, and it was drawing so much support uh, so much attention um, that the uh, president was continually just uh, hitting these people with a barrage of daily attacks uh, from the local police, uh, the local militia, yeah. and eventually has to recruit more and more people to try and combat this um, this kind of uh, growing movement in, in the town's or city square. Mm-hmm. And it starts as a protest, but it becomes much more of a movement. They take over buildings, they become organised, you know, they help... Um, uh, feed um, and, and shelter people that are literally kind of living there because they believe that this cause that they're fighting for is so, so important. Um, and the footage that they've got is incredible. There's so much kind of um, 
like first-hand uh, footage. It's not a case of it's loads of talking heads. It is pretty much just footage played out over the course of, I'm not sure the runtime, like, you know, it's an hour and 40 minutes and that's okay. all it is, just the footage. And you're very much kind of left to make up your own mind, which I think, you know, screams through in terms of yeah. what, what the kind of the right thing is here. Mm-hmm. But I think what's just, what for me, I just found really, really important was just that there was a, a movement that people believed in and they, you know, kind of uh, stuck to their guns. Although ironically, they didn't have guns. They were having <laughs> to deal with uh, the force of guns. Yeah. Um, and no matter what they were met with, extreme brutality, um, they didn't back down. Mm-hmm. And... Well, um, I was there the week before it kicked off. All oh, right, yeah. well, over to you then in terms <laughs> yeah. of in terms of your experience. So, like, I I, I have friends there um, who was involved or all, all, all that stuff. Um, I also had a friend um, who was on a previous episode who was in Russia at the time. So I had friends in Kiev and friends in Russia reporting on this on this madness. And I was there the week before, um, just being myself, going to Chernobyl, hanging out there. Um, and then I, um, I think it was maybe three or four days before I went to a football match there for Dynamo Kiev versus some other Ukrainian team. And, um, the, there was violence in the air. Um, and was it a movement or was it violence though? Well, it was like, well, basically I had to leave before the, before uh, the end because there was something in the air and I just thought there's something, something's wrong here. Yeah. But I mean... I think that the kind of it's, it's quite a student studenty town like Kiev yeah. and quite a young town, um, so you could see this potentially happening. So when I came back, it was literally, it was only a few days later when a friend of mine who who's over there, she's like, uh, "Yeah, it's all kicking off. Like people are getting beaten up and stuff." And I'm like, "What? This is crazy." Because mm. if you go there, it's the it's very very westernized. Okay. It's just like walking down Oxford Street. It's right. the same shops. You have got H and M. You got Marks and Spencers. You've okay. got things like that it looks exactly the same yeah. uh, and the square where it all kicked off is just essentially Trafalgar Square um, oh, right. and I was staying in, in an apartment just on that square as well so but um, I think that's almost they see themselves as you know as Europeans yeah. and they don't see themselves as having uh, much in common with Russia which is why yeah. there was so much anger that a promise that they felt they'd been made mm-hmm. was kind of then taken back and they didn't want to almost undo i guess the 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 western in influences and culture that had, had come in they saw as a positive yeah and it was only going to be you know a bad thing if they kind of moved much more towards the east well there's definitely there's definitely an anti-putin kind of uh thread in the air because everyone i spoke to when i, when I was there even before kicked off was just very much kind of anti-putin um so, so yeah it's uh, i can i can almost understand why this kind of kicked off because it mm. was in the air um, and just that, yeah, the, I mean, the documentary just does a really, really good job of, of capturing, um, you know, the, the feeling and the, the, the tension and the atmosphere. And uh, I think that it's a, a testament to just the way it's been put together. I think the um, directors are Russian as well. So it's it's oh. an interesting, you know, kind of when you watch it to think that this is this has been put together by um, uh, a Russian I just couldn't recommend it enough. And I think that if this kind of whets your appetite for, um, you know, some, some documentaries, then go and discover more on Netflix. There's loads like this. Um, and there's a whole range of subjects as well. So if this is, I would also caution as well. It's, it's, it's heavy going. It's not Mm -hmm. particularly, it's not enjoyable or pleasant to watch because there is some real brutality that you see. Uh, it's incredibly graphic. It doesn't really pull any punches in terms of what it shows. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of think, I'm sat here in my pajamas on the sofa watching watching this, and you know, you know, <laughs> so li- it's like life 6 is PM. life is good, and these people are you know 
I haven't been there, but it looks cold. Um, yeah, it's pretty cold. It, it, it looks cold. <laughs> it looks it's miserable. Cold. And you just think they're suffering day in, day out, taking some of those brutal beatings. And they just believe that the cause is so important. Um, and again, just I think the, the way that they captured it is is just incredible. So I, I, that's my What's that called again? It's called uh, Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. And um, yeah, give it a go. That's great. Um, and uh, is that available on, do you know if it's available on all Netflixes or just the I UK believe, one? so it's it's a Netflix, I believe it's a Netflix documentary. So I would, okay. I, so I would assume everywhere. they've put it everywhere, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so on to my final choice for today um, of what to watch on Netflix. And it's a documentary as well, and it's currently on Netflix. Um, I think it's almost just arrived there. It's called Enlighten Us, and it was made last year, 2016. And I'm about to enlighten you. It's about the rise and fall <laughs> of... You've practiced that. <laughs> I have not. It's about the rise and fall of a guy called James Arthur Ray. Um, so James Arthur Ray, he is one of the those people. If you kind of you can, if you just hear about, it, you think what a scum master, what a what a horrible guy, because he's one of those kind of motivational self help gurus that stand up in front of a crowd on a stage and just with, with like an earpiece in the thing and goes, "This is how you're going to change your life. You're going to go out there, tell your boss I quit, and go out there and 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 just live your dream. And how you're going to do that is you're going to pay me a thousand pound as soon as you leave this place, and I'm going to help you by sending you a, a thirty minute audio snippet of something, and that's going to change your life. And you just think, what an absolute monster." So this kind of shows you how he became the man he became, uh, this James Arthur Ray, and how it was. It was he was just kind of a a, a guy trundling along doing like self help things to small groups. Um, but he was a, he was a decent speaker, a decent orator, and uh, he got involved with the Secret. You know that book, the self help book, Secret, no. worldwide bestseller. And um, spoilers, guys, but the, essentially with the Secret. It's not really a secret. It is basically just just think positive and positive things will happen to you. Which is kind of what I've kind of thought in my life. Just don't be... A, my, my version is don't be a dick and the world will treat you right. Um, so because he was involved with this the secret, they, they made a film called The Secret where it's a bunch of motivational speakers and self-help people just doing like kind of talking heads to the screen of how to improve your life. And because of that, he went on Oprah. And then Oprah really liked him because he's a good speaker. So kept inviting him back on and on. And he built this empire of um, self-help. So he would um, go out into crowds of thousands upon thousands of people and just tell them how to improve their life, invite them up on stage and kind of like break them down just to build them up again. Um, do the same old tricks that kind of guys have been doing for years and years and years. Um, and then he started spinning off into, um, if you pay... Uh, basically there's a pyramid of enlightenment and the more you pay the, the, the closer you get to the top this is like almost scientology yes so but then he realized this kind of um, he 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 started having a, a really lavish lifestyle he kind of bought the house of his dreams he had a crew of like like hundreds of people and his stage shows were getting more and more elaborate so these cost money so it's he just kept on making videos like persuading people to, to kind of pay him money and then he just really needed money fast so he so he thought of a way to do that and the way to do that is he went out to his followers and said if you want to get to right right to the top of this pyramid you need to pay me ten thousand pound and then you can come onto this retreat with me like an easy jet fast pass yes basically that's exactly what it is but it cost 10 grand instead of uh, <laughs> 10 um, quid 10 quid and some peanuts um so what this involved is having a kind of quasi-religious experience on this ranch um in the middle of the desert 
uh, which all culminated in going into this sweat box. <laughs> and this sweat box is this kind of tent, big, low down to the ground tent. So you have to go in cross legs where you and about 250 people are all smudged together while he fills it full of hot coals and steam in the middle of the desert. And basically when you leave, you kind of, it's like a rebirth. Uh, so obviously a bunch of people died. Oh my God, that's <laughs> yeah. horrendous. So a bunch of people died and he did a runner. Wow. <laughs> and this is like one of the most famous, he was always on Oprah, one of the yeah. famous guys. So this became a national media sensation. Yeah. Um, eventually turned himself in and he obviously went to prison for a, a while. So this documentary picks up from when he left prison and him trying to rebuild his kind of career. Does it detail what you've just kind of given yes, us? Yes, all, all of that's in there. Brilliant, I'm definitely watching they, this. They play around with time a little bit, so you kind of see him starting off um, destitute almost, and then you see him at his peak, and it goes back and forth, and he's just like, wow, this story's crazy. But deep down, the guy has something psychological, psychologically wrong with him. He's out there trying to help all these people. He can't even help himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't want to just kind of narrate exactly what happens, well, but it's, it's... What I would say is, uh, well, I think that sounds fascinating. That's and great. I will be watching that. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Tony Robbins' I'm Not Your Guru? Yeah, and I love it. Yeah. Like, I really liked it. Well, I really enjoyed it, but... So he he your, makes an appearance you, in this, by the way. Does he? So yeah. what do you think of him, Bear in mind what you've just said about um, this, this dude? I think some people just need to hear the right things. It doesn't matter where it comes from. So if someone's saying to you, you're great, you can achieve anything, that's cool. When it starts to get into the kind of era of you can only achieve greatness if you give me tons of money. But do you think that's what Tony Robbins does? He does it to an extent, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think he's just as bad, but his documentary... I mean, it doesn't get as dark because no, no one dies. No, 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 not at yeah. all. I, I mean, the documentary is almost just shining the light on a weekend. But yeah. the big thing that made me think, hang on with the Tony Robbins thing. And I really enjoyed the documentary as well. It's an so interesting documentary. It was I mean, fascinating. Yeah. I, I considered talking about it um, on, on, on this, but um, was when he is right at the beginning, he opens up and essentially just very quickly, the Tony Robbins, uh, I'm Not Your Guru documentary just uh, follows him for a week on one of his annual talks, uh, self-help talk, yeah. thousands of people and the cameras just follow him for a week. And that's, that's what the documentary is. But, he opens up the uh, the session for the first day and says, you know, welcome uh, everyone, you know, many familiar faces. Some of you have been here for 10 plus years and, you know, that's amazing. I want to thank you. And I just thought, well, if you're a self-help person um, and bear in mind, I can't remember how much it is exactly, but to go on one of Tony Robbins uh, weeks is like two and a half grand minimum. Yeah. And if that person has been there for 10 years plus, mm -hmm. something's not right there. And that's when exploitation, I think, kind of yeah. comes into it. How many, how many times do you have to go until you've actually achieved? Yeah, it should be a one-off, yeah. yeah. Um, so is it two and a half grand, you'd expect results, fast results. Totally. Yeah. So would you say, is it a good companion piece to... Very good companion piece, because there is a lot of crossover and a lot of comparisons made yeah. to Tony Robbins, who um, actually this this guy, he was inspired by going to see Tony Tony Robbins. And I must stress, this isn't Tony Robinson uh, of Black Blackadder fame. This is a yeah, separate guy. Distress. Yeah. Who came first, Tony Robinson or um, this guy? Uh, this guy came after... Um, because I think he was inspired by uh, Tony Robbins. Oh, right. Okay. So, again, this is called Enlighten Us, The Rise and Fall of James Arthur Ray. And, um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a roller coaster, but it's if you like that kind of stuff, stuff about cults and gurus and self-help and the kind of bullshit that goes along with that mm. and just gullible people, then uh, this is the documentary for you on every Netflix, Enlighten Us. I've added it to my list.
Excellent. <laughs> um, so, Nicolda, what is your final choice? My final choice, and I was humming and hawing about what to go for, and I just thought it's been quite serious uh, up to now, so I thought maybe let's lighten the mood slightly. Okay. And almost uh, tangentially take it back to monkey nice tennis. Word. yeah. So I'm going to go with the trip. Oh, awesome, yeah. Which, have you seen? I have seen, yeah. So for those that haven't seen, and I imagine that most people kind of have seen uh, the trip. Not the Americans out there. They may, they're they not really Coogan literate. Yeah, yeah, true, um, true. Maybe I'm, I'm doing them a disservice, but Coogan isn't as big over there as he is in the UK. No, that's probably true. Um, although I think that when they go out in the US, they package them up as feature films. They do, yes. They don't kind of uh, go for the, 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 the TV series, you know, 30-minute episode approach yeah. that we have, which I guess kind of speaks to the fact that they're happy to watch 90 minutes. They're not <laughs> yes. happy to watch three hours, no, yeah, which exactly. is obviously the opposite here. So for those that kind of haven't seen it, it's directed by um, uh, Michael Winterbottom, which is awesome because I absolutely love him. Yeah. And I think that I'd like to see more from him. I don't know. He kind of did that feature film, um, The Killer Inside Me. I really liked it, but yeah. it seems like his kind of Hollywood career, maybe he's focused more on kind of TV work and documentaries. He has some interesting choices in, in, his, in his film. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like he's he's got great stuff in him. He's just yeah. maybe not realised it just yet. Exactly. Um, but it kind of follows uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon kind of playing a, a pseudo version of themselves. So yeah. it's kind of semi-autobiographical, um, I guess, in some respects. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, it just follows them on a culinary uh, tour of the UK in the first series and Italy in the second series. Mm -hmm. Um, And what you get really is just six episodes per series, 30 minutes each, of them kind of sitting in posh hotels, eating awesome food and kind of taking the mick out of each other. And one, I think that that's just awesome and fun to watch because I could watch those guys for forever. They're the kind of guys that you just want to pull up the third chair, order a glass of wine and just (laughs) chat to them because you know it'd be so much fun. Yeah, And I think that's what everyone gets from it in Mm -hmm. terms of uh, audiences. But there is this kind of like underlying um, side to... There's another side to the trip, which I think is... Um, I don't know if this, well, I assume it is intentional. It feels like it's been used as a vehicle maybe for, uh, I guess, Steve Coogan predominantly to almost um, go through a, a kind of a, a self catharsis almost where he's he's yeah. kind of letting out some of his uh, personal life mm-hmm. through this kind of... Um, uh, th- this nuanced version of Steve Coogan. Yeah. So you see him, you know, struggling with the fact that he's not as big as in Hollywood as he would like. The fact that his um, wife has, you know, he's separated from his wife and he has uh, a son in this, but I think in his actual life, he's separated from his wife and he has a daughter. So yeah. the similarities are kind of there. And I think that that's, that's all, I get as much from that as I do the silly, you know, imp- impersonations that they do. Kind of the, the dark side of, um, uh, of the trip where, okay, after the laughter's finished at lunch, you see them go up to their rooms and actually he's just staring in the mirror and, <laughs> yeah. you know, just talking to himself and mm. getting frustrated and annoyed about certain things in his life. Um, and I think it's just done in such a such a nice way to kind of balance those two things just pretty much perfectly. Yeah, I would say I think the second series is probably not quite as good as the first. I thought it was quite dark, the second series, especially think, with the kind of like um, the Bryden character. Yeah, and I think that's where it it almost lost me a little bit because I felt that series one was so perfect because it 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 used the Coogan... The Coogan bit was plausible because you knew it happened in real life. Yeah. Once the Bryden thing happened, that's where you felt like, well, this didn't happen to him, so they're, yeah. they're making this up. This is mm-hmm. now a creation of fiction. Yeah. Whereas I think it was just so perfect that uh, with series one, you're like, 
is it autobiographical? Is it not? Exactly. I'm not sure. There was more, yeah, the realism kind of what is what drew people into it. But then when it became essentially fiction, yeah. and quite obviously fiction, then, um, yeah, it lost me a little bit, I've got to say. Yeah, definitely. But it's, the second series is still good, and it's great to look at, and, the, you know, the food is awesome, and you think, ah, oh, you know, one day I'd love to go to all these restaurants that can probably never afford it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and series three is coming out at some point this year um, on, I think they go to Spain. Um, oh, wow, okay. Although, interestingly, it's not on BBC, it's going to Sky Atlantic, which I think is So it's going to die, shame. essentially, because well, no it. one will watch it. I feel like the rule, like, if it's gone to Sky Atlantic, that's underhand for we wanted more money and less yeah. viewers. Um, Don't get me wrong, Sky Atlantic has Game of Thrones, it has Westworld, yeah. yep. but the, the Coogan vehicles that have appeared on Sky Atlantic have died a death. Definitely, and I do think that this show deserves to be on BBC, because I think people deserve to see it, yeah. um, and it just seems such a shame that, obviously, I don't know what the financials were, but to have let... Sky kind of take it off, you know, the the British public. It well, just the seems only like reason could have been that the second season didn't didn't get a lot of people watching. Maybe I'm I'm not sure how popular or, or it actually ever was. Yeah, or maybe Sky put up the money. I think I think it's the latter. I think Sky yeah. just basically said, "Here's a load of money." Um, because yeah. also, I reckon not to go down a, a Sky rabbit hole, but I think that they're losing a lot of viewers to the likes of Netflix and even things like course, even yeah. things like iPlayer. So they're yeah. just massively putting money up for all these projects and taking them off. Um, other channels to try and keep people, you know, into Sky. Yeah. Um, but anyway, not 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 to go too far down that. But I just think, uh, yeah, the, I'm looking forward to the the new series, and you know, it's going to be more of the same. You know what you're getting. It's not going to be anything different. It'll be interesting to see how they continue to play out that that story around Rob Brydon and whether more happens with kind of Steve Steve Coogan and his kind of personal story. But yeah. um, I just think for you could do so much worse than just watch the trip and uh, and. Yeah, it's incredibly rewatchable. It really is. Uh, well, that's a, a great final choice. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much. Um, and that's it for what to watch on Netflix for another episode. Uh, Nick, where can people find you? Should they want to follow follow up on some of these and and give you some <laughs> give you some stick? Tell me how bad they were <laughs> uh, on Twitter at Nick Alder. Yep, and you're also on Instagram. I am on Instagram, although I don't use it very much, and I I don't even know what my handle is. It's at Nick, Nick Alder. J- oh, it's Nick J. Alder. Nick J. Alder. What's the J stand for? John. Excellent. Such a boring name. I hate it. So boring. <laughs> Nick John Alder. That is. You've got. Yeah. So uh, that's it, folks. Uh, we'll see you next week. If you like any of these, please rate, review, subscribe, and uh, just basically keep it number one. That's probably for the best. Listen to Monkey Tennis, which has a new series out now on iTunes. Just go to iTunes, type in Monkey Tennis, and then you'll hear Nick and the rest of the guys talking more of Alan and every now and again you get one word from me so uh, <laughs> that's the one yeah just the one that's all I'm allowed uh, please uh, also remember there's a live show in November where they'll be doing Knowing Me Knowing You All uh, check out the socials British uh, Art Cinema yeah. November 22nd tickets on sale now please buy them we'll see you there um, and I'll see you next week thanks very much bye bye bye